Grab your Bible and go to Proverbs chapter 22. That's where we'll be this morning. We're working our way through uh, a study through the book of Proverbs, learning wisdom. And um, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm guessing you are, and that sometimes you make unwise decisions. And the more that I got to know you, and the more that you got to know me, you would say, yeah, sometimes you make unwise decisions. We all need wisdom. We all need more wisdom. But when we talk about wisdom, we're, we're not just talking about in the Bible. God doesn't just want you to know uh, how to make better choices about your relationships, although he does want you to know how to make better choices about your relationships, but not just that. He doesn't want you to know uh, how, just how to make better choices about your finances. You ought to be wise with your finances, but he doesn't want you to just know how to be wise with your finances he doesn't want you to just make better decisions about what job you should do or where you should live or uh, what it looks like uh, to, uh, to, to be in connection with those around you. Although those are, those are all really good things and, and you should make wise choices with those. But when it talks about wisdom, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's talking about something very specific. It's talking about how do we be more like Jesus in all that we do, say, or think? Wisdom in the Bible, when we pursue wisdom, we're not just pursuing a better life. We're pursuing Jesus who offers complete, pure, best life. So when we say we need more wisdom in our lives, in Bible terms, you could say we need more Jesus. You could say that. In fact, look at the person next to you and say, you need more Jesus. Yeah. In fact, look at someone next to you who wronged you this week and say, you definitely need more Jesus. Right? Like, no one participated. I mean, so like, in that, in that, sorry, you know, but welcome to church, you know, by the way. Um, uh, man, you understand that, like, we need to be, as Christians, those who bear the name of Christ, we aim and strive to be more and more like Jesus because that's what the gospel has declared about us. That you're, you're not just, as a Christian, a better version of your old self. You're not just better at relationships than you used to be. In fact, you've come to know that as a Christian, it's made some of your relationships difficult, hasn't it? You have learned as a Christian, like God's design for you isn't just to be a, a, a better, uh, better with your finances, although you have realized that you were bought with a price, you were not your own, you glorify God with your body, everything you have belongs to him, so you, you do things with your finances you, you would not do apart from Christ. Like you, you know as a Christian that the gospel has changed how you respond to those that are around you and those that are against you and those that are below you in every aspect, not just because that's a good thing, but because you, God didn't make you so you could be a better person. He made you so you could be like Jesus, and you bearing his name now want to represent Jesus in all of those aspects. That's, that's why God saved you in the gospel. In fact, this morning in Proverbs chapter 22, we'll be seeing how the gospel gives us a name. The very Christ life within us 
gives us a name that we are to use our lives to see is a good name, but it's not our name that we aim for others to see. Our aim is to make Jesus' name known. That as we go through life walking in wisdom, we want others to look at us and not just say, that's what a wise person looks like. Although, listen, that would be awesome. That's a good thing for people to see you as wise. But not just that, that's what a wise person looks like. But wow, look at that. That's what Jesus looks like in someone's life. Now, that doesn't always promise that that makes it easy, but it does promise that at the end of the day, if you can say, on this day, Jesus would put a stamp on my life and say, that's what I would look like if I were in your shoes because I am with you. That's the aim of the end of the day of a Christian's life. And sometimes, as a follower of Christ, that's going to go really good. Like, like sometimes you're going to get to the end of your day and be like, bam, like nailed it, you know, did it, woke up on time, only to the third snooze, did my devotion, did some working out or whatever, didn't waste money, was nice to my boss, even though he or she or they were, whatever they identify as was just, we're rude, we are different on things, like that was not okay, like, but I, man, I, I, I nailed it, man, I represented Jesus. And some days you're going to go to bed and go, I was just, I'm stupid today. I was unwise. That I did not nail. But a follower of Christ continues to strive to represent his name well. Because like names ought to bring to memory, recall things. In fact, there's, there's names in your life that when you think about them just make you angry, right? You've gone through the agony or watching parents or your parents probably did this about you. Whenever they find out that they're having a baby and they start to go through the name phase and as they're exchanging names back and forth, they say, oh no, I'd love to name my kid this. And the other parent says, no way. I knew a Timothy once and no one will ever be named that in our life again, right? Like you, you go through that because the name represents everything behind it. When I go on trips, uh, and I'm, and we're on like, like on, on a road trip or something, and I'm trying to figure out where we can go to eat, I look for a rest stop uh, or an exit that has a Chick-fil-A. You know why? Because it's delicious. That's why, right? And also because as a corporation, a Chick-fil-A, if you find a Chick-fil-A, you're going to find a bunch of other stuff around it. You're going to find a Starbucks. You're going to find a Target or a Walmart close by. Like you're going to find an area that's generally okay to stop in when you don't know where you are. It's everything around the Chick-fil-A. And then when you get there, man, you just know they're going to give me what I order. And that's good. And if they don't give you what you ordered, it's because God desired you to have something different, not because they messed it up, right? Like it's Chick-fil-A, you know? Like it's, it's good. You look, I look for a Chick-fil-A. There's certain things that come to mind when when I say um, Dallas Cowboys, right? Man, it is the most like love-hate team in America. Like they should be good, but they never are, right? <laughs> Disappointing every year. The most money, the, one of the greatest talent, uh, talent pools in the NFL still disappoint all of its fans. I tried to be a Dallas Cowboys fan while I lived in Texas. I tried for two years, and they broke my heart two years in a row. 
you know, uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or shame on you. There's lots of shame to go around, as a famous Texan would say. So, like, I just, I couldn't get there, you know, I couldn't get there. That was an old George Bush joke, right? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get there, I couldn't get there. But when you say, like, Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, there is hope of a different kind behind that, right? Like, we were, man, we were good two years ago, and this year... If I could grow a mustache, I was hoping maybe at 34 I'd have that skill, but it's just not going to happen in my life. I've embraced that. But man, but like this afternoon when they beat the saints, I'm telling you, it will be glorious because we know that that's what that, the name brings that in. I have to work that in every week. I'm so sorry during football season. Uh, so like uh, there's behind a name is everything that, that it represents. It, it's why for the most part you don't find many people named Lucifer, right? I mean, you just don't. Someone might take that name on purpose, or, or there's a reason that they give that to their child. You, you won't find many children named Adolf, right? There, there's, a, there's a massive meaning behind it. You won't find many children. All of you are like, I have this friend on Facebook that has a, like, okay, but you, many, right? You, you will absolutely in every city because of the remarkable work of racial reconciliation because of the gospel that Martin Luther King Jr. began in every single city you will find a street named that or an area named that because of that beautiful work that means something right behind that name a name carries a lot of work when you go sign something, when you go sit down and buy a house, you sign an initial page after page after page after page, and that little signature means that everything behind it, that you are behind that, it represents everything about you, and it also gives the other people permission to come take everything from you more than the house in the event you lapse on your payment. There's a lot in a name. And here's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ in the gospel. The gospel is, a friend of mine summarizes, the idea that God is holy. He is perfect. He is perfection. In every way imaginable, in every way possible, He is perfect and you are not. If you say, I'm in here today, and I don't know if I am holy like God or not, simple question. Have you ever messed up? Yes, you have. Therefore, you are not perfect. Therefore, God is holy, and you are not, and that's a problem. And though God is holy and you are not, that's a significant problem. You deserve death and separation because nothing imperfect can be in the presence of perfect, holy God. But Jesus saves. That's the gospel. And the gospel is this, that you, in your imperfection, in your sin, deserving of being separated from God, God made a way for you to be brought back, made perfect again, to be brought back to him by paying the penalty for your imperfection, by saving you through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and giving you the perfect 
uh, standard that is Jesus's, and Jesus takes your sin on his own and pays your penalty in full, and God reconciles. He restores you back to himself. That though God is holy, and you are not, and that's a problem, through Jesus, God saves you. That is the gospel, and then he places on you his very name. And there ought to be something behind it that represents Jesus. And that's, what's, that's what Proverbs chapter 22 is going to help us understand of what does it look like to live a life that represents Jesus. That when someone says, when you say, when you hear, hear said, I am a Christian, or you get accused or praised for being a Christian, or you claim in your own heart to be a Christian. What is behind that 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 name represents? And that's what we're going to find in Proverbs 22. That the, a gospel name is given to us, and through the gospel, rather, a name is given to us, and because of the gospel, our aim is to represent the name of Jesus that we bear. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, and you'll see that Solomon writes this. He says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. You know that a good name is a good thing. And you know, like the examples given, and so many other thing, uh, ways that you know a name that represents bad, that it does not matter how rich somebody is, a bad name makes them bad presence. In fact, look down at verse 5 as this section is capped off in Proverbs chapter 22, verses one through five. Solomon writes, thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. You know that someone can ruin a name by being uh, characterized, their life being characterized as someone who is marred with thorns and thistles along their path. You have experienced people in your own life that you have watched walk away, or you have followed in their way, or they've dragged you down away, and you have been hurt and broken. And that's why that name, behind it, even though it's just a name, behind it carries so much weight and so much baggage that you would never let that name in your house as one of your own children. You would never, you could never be friends with someone named that because of the reminder and so what Solomon's going to do in verses 2 through 4 is give us these guardrails so that when people associate us with the name Christian, they don't associate Jesus apart from who he really is. That as we live out the name as a follower of Christ, we don't mar the beautiful, wonderful name that we just sang about with our imperfections, but rather we're living 
within the boundaries that God has designed because he put his name on us and we live within those boundaries so that we don't drag his name through a pathway that others go. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Y'all, the gospel is offensive enough. This morning, we, uh, I, got, I had a chance to teach our uh, military young adults upstairs about the, the outcome of being a Christian. And one of those outcomes of being a Christian is suffering and persecution. Like everyone in the Bible, if you look, they all endure persecution for suffering. Jesus, the end of his life was death on a cross. All of his followers endured deep suffering for the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's, uh, the fact that God's, uh, he would continue to say, my name will be on my people. It was representative of, I am with them and they are me and I am in them. That This morning even, man, we, we learned being a follower of Christ is really, really hard because we bear the name of Christ. And as we bear the name of Christ, God desires us to bear it in a way that represents him, which means a continual process of making ourselves small so God can be big. Or as John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus and talking about him, I must decrease and he must increase. That is what a life looks like that bears the name of Christ. But man, we can so easily confuse what it looks like to bear well the name of Jesus. And we're not the first to do this. Like, there are still cowboy fans. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But there are, right? And in that process, like, we know that people will continue to uh, 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 we, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just like to do that. Eric's a Cowboys fan, and he listens to this every week. <laughs> and so um, on that process, uh, we, we have a way of categorizing people just because, well, and they're not because they're like Jesus, but because they're different than, uh, than us. Therefore, they may not be able to bear the name. Uh, look at chapter 22, verse 2. Solomon wants us to see that the rich and the poor meet together, but the Lord is maker of them all. I mean, even in Solomon's day, he did what we do in categorizing people by social status or class or race or location or ethnicity or background as to whether or not they bear the name of Christ because they don't look or talk or, or act like us. We come to the conclusion, sometimes we watch people that are poor, they must be less blessed by God than those who, who live in comfort. We've seen that before. There's a whole gospel that goes with that. False gospel, I should say, that goes with that. Sometimes we categorize people that aren't in a position or choose not to flex their strength and authority, another word for that might be meek, that they, they must be less blessed, less blessed by God than those who flex their authority. Man, there's a whole world view that goes with that. Sometimes, man, we, we look at people who are hungry and thirsty, that they, they must not 
be, love God as much as I do because I have my fill. Or we categorize people that they couldn't possibly bear the name of Jesus like I do because they're getting what's seemingly deserved and I'm not getting it. Or, or sometimes we, we categorize people as not bearing the name of Christ well because, man, I get what I want in my life and they don't get what they want in their life and they must be doing something wrong. And here's what the gospel does for us. The gospel flips this whole idea of rich, those who are set apart, and poor, those who are set apart as below, and flips this whole idea of what's deserved upside down and helps us see that it's actually the, the poor in spirit who earn, who have, rather, the kingdom of God. It's those who, who suffer loss that find comfort in the gospel. It's those who are meek and controlled that find themselves having inherited the kingdom of God. It's those who seem to not have it all together and continually seek and thirst after Jesus, having never arrived but constantly on the path. Those who hunger and thirst that find satisfaction and the righteousness that God provides. It's those who continually look, realizing that what they offer is nothing, that find satisfaction in the beauty of who God is. It is those who are merciful to others that show that they bear the name of Christ who has been merciful to them. It's those who seek peace that are shown to bear the name of Christ and have been brought into the family of God. Here's my point. That what the gospel does is help us see that it is those who bear the name of Christ well, not the rich or the poor or categories that we make, but the gospel cuts through all of that and at the cross, all are equal who have believed in Jesus Christ. That there's neither slave, Greek or Scythian, slave or free, male or female, but all are one through Christ, in, through God, in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That everybody at the foot of the cross is saved by grace. And in the kingdom of God, there isn't anyone better or worse than others through categories that we see. Here's what this practically looks like. When I was a youth pastor, I so often would run into teenagers who would look down on others simply because they were not as good at a sport as they were. Now, parents, we know, we know that our children are often better because we come from a family that can afford a private coach in practice, and sometimes that makes the difference. There's like 2% of athletes that are actually naturally gifted and going to go do anything, and everybody else is just having fun. But, oh, doesn't that raise our hearts up? When you have a new car, right, there's something about stuff, isn't there? There's just there's something about it that just makes us feel better than everybody, isn't there? Uh, whenever we are uh, uh, adults and we see somebody who is, has uh, less money than we might, or we go the other way, we see someone who has more money than we do, and we can categorize them as, man, they must not love God like I do. I bet that they don't like I do. We 
Man, we do that. We categorize people. I've heard it in, in my line of work in church world. You see a church that is, y'all, um, a couple of weeks ago, we ran some statistics. We had uh, more than 100 first-time guests in 100 days just at this location. That's awesome. That's a great problem to have. I, I, I loved having to figure out, like, how do we, we had a leadership meeting this last Wednesday night. Like, how, what do we do to plug the people in better? Like, how do we, how do we do that? Like, that, what is that? That's a great problem to have. But I promise, I promise God can just as easily have a church that's faithful, that fails or is striving rather and just never gets there to figuring out how to engage and have that many people coming around all at once. Man, what Solomon wants us to see is that bearing a good name has nothing to do with your social status or because of the gospel by what you have earned or lost. What the name that you bear is simply because of Jesus and what God has done for Jesus in your life. And that's the point of verse 2, that the Christ life makes Jesus' name, the reason for being made like they are. Here's the question. When someone looks at your life, do they say you are like you are because of the gifts that you bring, the materials that you have, the talents that they perceive, or do they see you are like you are because of Jesus? Here's the deal. Those things can explain a lot of things about you, but there should be something about you that money couldn't buy, that being poor couldn't form, that being smart couldn't achieve, that being dumb luck couldn't get you into. There ought to be something about you as a follower of Christ that others look to and say, that's got to be something other than this world offers. And your answer is, it's only because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. That as we look, the rich and the poor are all in one group. God is the maker of them all. And we exist now so that Jesus' name would be the reason for being like we are. But then continuing on in verse 3, Solomon continues, he says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Uh, the prudent throughout the book of Proverbs is a synonym or another way that, uh, that Solomon points out those who are wise. Now, just this is a question. Actually, I got this from a pastor that worked here a while ago, and he probably got it from somebody else, and he probably got it from somewhere. But he used to always say before you stop and do something to know if you are a, a follower of Christ doing this well, do you see someone else who is also wise in Christ doing this around you? Is there someone else along the same track that you would say, this is a wise person, they love Jesus, this is evident outside of this in their life, They've been walking with Jesus for years, and they are also doing this. That then would be a prudent, wise thing to do. But if you're alone by yourself, surrounded by people, being encouraged by people who don't know Jesus to act like that, you probably ought to not be like that. That is not being a prudent 
person. And when you see something where there's danger ahead and no one else is around you and you go ahead and do it anyway, that is not being prudent. That is being simple. It's another uh, word for foolish in the book of Proverbs. The wise and the foolish, the foolish see that there's danger and they go for it anyways. Man, I can't tell you how many times as a uh, uh, working with young adults and I have a young couple sitting in my office and they say, oh, Tim, I, I don't know what happened, man. We, we just can't seem to keep our hands off of one another. And I say, well, just walk me through. I know you love Jesus and you're, you're like, walk me through. Well, man, we were, it was a Friday night and it was around midnight and I knew that I should go home. And then we started talking and around 1 a.m. I said, you know, I've never shared this with anyone before, right? And then we thought, well, we'll just watch a movie. And then I started getting tired. And then before you know it, like, and I look at them and say, like, did you not see it coming? Is this shocking to you that you failed in that again? Well, no, there's this one time that we succeeded. And that's like, you've heard me say this before. That's what the enemy does. He, he helps you see. Remember that one time you went down the path and didn't get cut, but the other 99 times you did? Like, of course that happened. This is the conversation we have all of the time when it comes to, man, I'm telling you, like going out with the guys or going out with the girls and you end up going too far with drinking and the way you talk about your relationships and the way that you talk about those around you. Like walk me through it. I know that you failed. Walk, walk me through it. Let's figure out how to, how to have a better defensive plan, offensive plan against this next time. Well, you know, I'd had a long day and I had a fight with my spouse and I got an invitation to go out with a bunch of people who are married or no longer married or have bad marriages. And so they began to talk about their spouse and I began to just throw them back. And before too long, man, I was there and I was too far down the road. I'm going, man, did, didn't you see this coming, right? Was this, was this wise? Does that represent Jesus well at all? We see this pathway all the time, y'all. This is the one I'll get emails about. I, I just want you to know, if your whole worldview is based on one cable news network, you are probably going to be angry at everybody all the time. <laughs> I just need to say that. I love you. I can't point to a Bible verse that says, don't watch this cable news network or don't watch that cable news network. But I'm just telling you, some of y'all are wound up so tight, you need to turn off the TV and go on a hike or something like I mean, seriously, like you, you watch as it winds you, it's the same thing every 20 minutes, it doesn't matter. You watch as it winds you up. You watch as your heart goes to places because of people that are different than you or believe politically different than you, and you're looking at that, and in that moment, you are justifying arguing with them. Man, I'm just, I'm just telling you, some of y'all need to turn that stuff off, pick up a Bible and learn how to treat people like Jesus, who differed significantly on his political views and always was with them, teaching them the love of God. I'm telling you, just turn that off for just a little bit. That's, I'm, I know that's a, you didn't come to church to hear that today, but this is like, like wise brother to wise brother, sister in Christ. Man, some of you are so angry. Just turn it off for a little bit. Just, just a little bit. You'll survive. Turn on the Jaguars game. Like, you'll, you'll be fine. It starts at 1 o'clock, so you know I'll end on time today. Like, turn that on. You'll be okay. But here's the point. You see that the end of what you're about to participate in 
whatever, whether it's one of those things or something else, is simply bad for your soul. That there is a, an awareness that comes with being wise because you as a follower of Christ, now one who walks in wisdom, one who would be called prudent as in careful, you look at life through the lens of the gospel going, this is where I'm going today and I'm going to go ahead and prepare to avoid the dangers that are coming my way. You know that they are coming and so avoid them altogether. That's what the word hide means. Not like I'm going to cover until it passes away, but I'm going to make myself unknown in that situation. Man, you know what's coming that's going to rattle your soul and make it so that if someone were to say, is that what Jesus does? You could honestly say, no, this is, this is not what Jesus would look like. But rather you look at it and go, you know, when I go to that place, I ruin the name of Jesus. When I go to that area in my heart, I ruin the name of Jesus. When I go out with that group of people, I ruin the name of Jesus. Therefore, I will not. I'm going to be wise and careful because I bear his name. That the Christ life seeks to lift Jesus' name high and avoid things that would bring his name low by their example. Y'all, that's not easy. I have spent many nights wandering around random cities waiting for my guys to be done to take them home for the sake of simply trying to well represent Jesus. And I've not always done it well, but I want you to know when I look back on my life at times where I acted wisely with the name of Christ, I look back and I go, I'm okay. Like 10 years later, who cares what they called me? I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Some of y'all would say 60 years later, I look back and go, man, I, I represented my king. I was looking ahead and I'm asking you to look ahead. That's what scripture is asking us to look ahead and see that the prudent, the, the wise, we know wisdom in the life of, in a, in a follower of Christ is Christ in our lives causes us to look ahead and see danger and avoid the situations. But the fool looks at it and goes, eh, I'll be okay. And y'all, you know you're not okay. We know we're not okay. So man, we, we seek to lift Jesus' name high and avoid things that bring him low. I'm looking now at verse 4. Solomon writes that the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Do, do you see what, what he does here? He brings the fullness of life that we all desire and shows, man, this is all based on humility and fear of the Lord. Do you remember what Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says? I throw it up on the screen. We're all going to say this together because you have got to see this and how this theme is run throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. All right, I read it, so now we're all going to read it together because you know the cadence now. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what Solomon does all the way now over in chapter 22 that we've seen him do just about every week through the chapters that we've been looking at. He looks at the idea of bearing a good name, desiring a good name, even more than riches, and he had a bunch of them. Understanding that God is the maker of all, he doesn't say, oh, oh, good, you're in a good season of life, that's a sign that I've blessed you, and you're in a poor season of life, that's a sign that I've shamed you, but rather all of you, I'm the maker of all of you, your social status bears nothing in the kingdom of God. That as a follower of Christ, we desire, we should desire to walk a pathway that looks ahead of where we are and avoids the obstacles that will be our demise, knowing that they've kicked our butt 99 out of 100 times and we will lose the 101st time. Therefore, we don't want to do anything that would shame the name of Jesus on us. And he brings us all back on what it is to know the gospel, to know the idea that we begin our pursuit of wisdom by fearing the Lord. That we understand that when we pursue wisdom, we are in the Bible pursuing Jesus. That Jesus in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as we, verse 4, humble ourselves and submit to a God who is beautiful and in awe, in him we find the full riches and honor and life that we are seeking. Y'all, I'm not here this morning saying bearing the name of Jesus is hard. Get over it. I'm saying bearing the name of Jesus is where you find yourself alive, where you get to represent God to the world. And yes, there are difficult seasons that you walk, and yes, it creates difficulty in your life. But the hope of the gospel is that this is not all. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it's how we continue to represent him well as we lift his name high. And so here's the questions for application this morning. When you look at your life, what would you say, what would your life say you make known the most. This is a challenge for us. This is a challenge for us. Students, would you say that the end of your high school life, the trajectory where you're aiming at and where you're going right now, that the end of that is looking back on four years of making Jesus known or the priority of making a GPA so you can one day get into a college, so you can one day work in a school that you probably didn't study for in your undergrad. Work in a job that you didn't study for in your undergrad. Parents, you're not happy that I said that. And that's okay. You, you know that. Parents, would you say that you're helping your kids on the trajectory of making Jesus known? Or is that second or tertiary to something greater, like staying out of trouble and being a good kid and getting good grades. Oh, I tell you what, that sacrifice on, for, on the, in the spiritual lives of our kids for the sake of sports and grades is profound to me. 
would you say in your own life you're striving to make your name known? That the thing that you want everyone to know about you is underneath all of it the accomplishments and the incredible thing that you are doing? Or would you say that it's Jesus? Would you say that at the end of your life, if that's the season that you're in, the stage that you're in, that the last decades or years or months of your life exist to make Jesus known or is the thing most known about you something else? Just let that bother you. It's okay. Let the Lord bother you with the question, am I existing for the sake of making Jesus known with my life or is my existence currently making something else known. And if it's not Jesus as a follower of Christ, would you allow those things to be reconciled in this closing time and allow the Lord to help you see what it would look like to lift up the name of Jesus in your life? And maybe it looks like having to really wrestle with how I classify at whether or not I'm following Christ. Whether following Christ to me looks like things are going really good all the time or whether it looks like following Christ no matter how things go. Maybe for you, you need to look ahead at your pathway and what it would look like, the gap between representing Jesus lifting his name high and my life representing something else, the gap between that is simply looking ahead and going, I know what's coming up this week. Here's how I'm going to represent Christ well in that situation. Like, I'm going to have to be humble on Facebook when the Jaguars destroy the Saints this afternoon. I ruined it by saying that, didn't I? It's probably not going to happen. Okay, but for real though, I'm going to have to be humble this week as I batter the, battle the inner battle of pride in others that I know more than they do. I battle that. And I already know the situations it's going to come in. I know the way my heart is going to go when I see the updates on Facebook. Like, I know what's coming ahead. Man, I need to spend time praying and saying, God, would you, would you help me see that I would represent Christ well in this environment, in this situation? Or maybe it looks like understanding that you just need to bring your place to a place of humility before the Lord. Of God, you're... I mean, truly, I'm acting that way because I've never submitted to you, and I'm asking, God, that you would help me kind of rework my life so that I submit to you in every area. What would your life say you make known most? Question number two. Right now, how does your life make Jesus known? Someone else looking in on you, or if they, if they were to define the Christian life, would that life be consistent with what Scripture says a Christian ought to look like? And if not, allow the Lord to show you where the inconsistencies are and ask Him to help you get back in line with His desire. And if you say, I don't, I don't know what a Christian's life ought to look like, then 
Man, ask someone to join around you and engage in a life group. A sin is kicking your butt. Go to a life group. They're, it's full of sinners. Like they, they'd love to help you figure out how to walk with Christ. Like as you let me, if you look at your life and say, if someone were to define a Christian by my life, would that definition that they come up be consistent with what the Bible says a Christian ought to look like? Where those variances variances are, that that doesn't mean you're you're. Uh, you're failing as a follower of Christ, it means another opportunity where you get to look at and say, this is an area of my life that, man, I get to represent Jesus even better, even more well, or whatever. How does your life make Jesus known? So that being said, if you're a follower of Christ, let's go to the Lord and respond. Uh, You've been through this before. Let's bow our head and close our eyes and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, help me see where I'm living unwise and where I'm not bearing your name well as Christian. If you are not a follower of Christ, this morning I want you to know that this all begins with the beauty of the gospel. That You, your life is designed to exist, to glorify God in everything you do. But the gospel teaches us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, God's design was for you to represent Him perfectly And because of sin, you no longer do that. And so if you're not a follower of Christ in your sin, you deserve judgment and death and eternal separation in hell from God. But the gospel is this if you're not a follower of Christ. The gospel is that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you also can now have your imperfection atoned for, paid for, covered fully, and that you can have your eternal life restored between you and God. So this morning, if you aren't a follower of Christ and it makes sense that you're not perfect, but God is, and that's a problem, this morning, would you pray for Jesus to save you? Would you believe in the gospel? And if that's you, would you right now talk to God and tell him something like this? Dear God, I know that I'm not perfect and I'm a sinner. But God, I believe that you made a way because Jesus was perfect and he can take my sin. So God, would you forgive me of my sin? 
and give me his perfect life. God, thank you for saving me. And if that's you and we prayed to God in that way, would you continue right now just to talk with him? In just a minute, we're going to stand up and sing. And as we sing, if today you prayed to Jesus, to God for the first time through salvation in Jesus, I'd love to meet you. For everyone else, take your time in responding. I'm going to invite you to stand in just a minute, but that doesn't mean that you have to. And as we make our way responding through this last song, through singing or through sitting and praying, let's walk out of here having allowed the Lord to help us see how we represent his name and how we can represent his name in an even more glorious way this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being our king. We ask that you would in this moment help us to respond appropriately to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the work that you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.